little hut, big hut, big hut, little hut. Doesn't matter what the size. Big hut, little hut, little hut, big hut. Sparkles in your eyes. That's the sound of Jonathan Sampson's song, Love is Not a Race. He's the first board-certified music therapist in history to receive a Grammy for Best Children's Album. He's also our guest on this week's Cityscape. Hi, I'm George Bodarki. Jonathan is the founder of Co-Creative Music, a private practice in Brooklyn where he offers a unique combination of music therapy, audio-video production, artistic mentoring, and life coaching to inspire the child archetype in all ages. Jonathan, thanks so much for taking the time to come in. Thank you for having me here. So first things first, congratulations on winning a Grammy. Oh, thank you very much. How exciting was that for you when you learned that you were nominated? Oh, that was beyond exciting. I cried. <laughs> literally. <laughs> I literally cried. That, that's a pretty big thing. So, And you are the first board-certified music therapist in history to win a Grammy. Apparently. Also not something I was aware of as I won, but it, it sunk in pretty quickly after that. And you went out to L.A. to pick up the award. Yeah, well, I don't know if you know that this is how it works, but I don't actually have a physical award. It takes a little time for them to customize and then all of that. Yes, but, but you were called up to the stage to accept. I was, and I did. <laughs> Surreal experience? Yeah, you know, there's a certain um, adrenaline that kicks in and then stabilizes so that you can actually speak in full sentences, you know? So it was, of course, exhilarating, and then I also felt at the same time quite grounded and you know, cognizant. I mean, it is a surreal experience. What do you think that winning a Grammy says about music therapy and the importance of music therapy? Thank you. Um, well, for me, the, the biggest piece here is the music therapy, creative arts therapy aspect, the mental health aspect. And so, of course, it's amazing to just win a Grammy. That's certainly enough for a lifetime. But for me, the material was so edgy you know, just from a, a children's music perspective and, and whether or not, you know, having a chorus, this world is a little bit broken, is the right thing for kids. But then you look at the news and you see them all marching in the streets fighting climate change and speaking so clearly and being so aware of what's really going on in a way. Not sharing this in an artistic form is, well, I just felt called to be as authentic as I could about how I felt about what's going on and also what I've learned from kids along the way. The name of the album is Ageless Songs for the Child Archetype. Now, how would you describe the sound of this album overall? Oh, um, it's pretty poppy. It's, uh, it's creative. It's pretty colorful. It's a, it's a sensory experience. I'm a big fan of Bjork and Beck. So, you know, those guys really know how to throw in different layers and, and whatnot. So I, I really look at it as... Um, in fact, I'd like to make that discernment. There's definitely an academic... A strand, a therapeutic strand. And I'm also an artist, and I, I really believe that all art, you know, has strands of academia and, and therapy and, and whatnot. So, how did you come up with the title? Okay, so um, it actually started out as a bigger kids' album, right? So, I've got my other three albums I've produced kids' album, another kids' album, and a new kids' album. And so, I was just ready for it to be number four, a bigger kids' album. So, I even nodded to that in a Predicament, the first track, when I sang, Kids, you're getting bigger now. And I was like, oh, this is, this is like totally finalized, you know? And then 
the concept of the child archetype is is very important to me uh, through my work. Uh, my, one of my teachers, uh, her name is Carolyn Mace, and she's done a lot of work on archetypes. And so I realized more and more as I was producing this album, it was n not just for children, but not in a way that you would market a kid's album, not just for kids. Parents like it too, but really in my work recognizing regardless of the age of the person I'm working with, whether they're a senior or a child, literal child, there's that child archetype that's always present. And so that's one of the main messages is that we're either going to have the light aspect of the child or the shadow aspect. The light aspect being childlike and the shadow being childish. Hopefully we'll go more into that. But um, then it became Ageless Kids album. And then Stephanie Mayers, my amazing PR agent, said, hey, what about just calling it Ageless? And then I said, that's no. And then I was like, wait a minute. That could actually work, but I want to add songs for the child archetype to really sort of, you know, ground what I'm talking about there. And so um, that's where it came from, was a, a mixture between, you know, the overarching theme of the album and the amazing Stephanie Mayers for helping me consolidate. <laughs> Yay, Stephanie. Yeah. Let's talk more about the opening track yeah. of this album, Predicament. Was there a particular incident that inspired this song? Uh, yeah, there were a few. So firstly, as I mentioned, Carolyn Mace, who is just an incredible teacher. She's got uh, several best-selling books, including Anatomy of the Spirit and Sacred Contracts and um, Invisible Acts of Power, Why People Don't Heal and How They Can. And so I was in Canada, actually, about a decade ago. Um, the, the Girl Scouts there are known as the Girl Guides, and I was invited there uh, by a... Uh, one of my colleagues, and she's also an author by the name of Eleanor Deckard, and she had set up this whole tour for me in Canada, going to different libraries and farmers markets and then, you know, performing and doing workshops at the Girl Guide camp on creativity and self-esteem and expression. And so we would just drive around Canada sometimes listening to Carolyn Mace's audio programs from Sounds True. And something that she said hit me between the eyes so hard, which was... There's a difference between a problem and a predicament. The mysteries and the challenges we face. And there's a line between a problem and a predicament. You can solve a problem, but you manage, you manage, you manage a predicament. You can solve a problem but you manage a predicament. Hmm. And I mean verbatim. And so this is 10 years ago, and it, it hit me so hard because as a Virgo, I'm always trying to find how to fix the problem, you know? And that, as a therapist, that's not a smart way to go. <laughs> you know, it's all about the process. But there is that tendency when something's wrong, how do we make it go away, you know? So how do we, is there a pill I can take and then everything's fine? And then there was a certain level of wisdom and maturity that came over me when I realized some things you're not going to be able to fix. You're simply going to be able to manage them. And that's what healing is. It's not necessarily that your illness is gone or your mental health condition is gone or your, your grieving is gone, but you learn how to live with it and weave it into a life path, a lifestyle that feels as though you're striving for balance. 
just in case you were wondering what my definition of healing is, there it is right there. How do you help people heal through music? Let's talk about music therapy and what it actually is and does. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'd like to say about music therapy, to discern between what I do and what your um, board-certified music therapist is doing in an institution or a hospital or a school. So from a more textbook definition, music therapy is the clinical application of music to help a client reach non-musical goals, right? So if you're dealing with uh, a child with special needs, with fine motor issue or gross motor, you know, I mean, the list can go on and on what you're working on. You can use music as an invisible therapy. I say invisible therapy because occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, these are there are goals there that can actually be infused into music so the child isn't even aware that they're having therapy. They're just simply having different experiences that are helping them exercise different muscles or different parts of the brain. And so music therapy, there's so much science out there already. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a, a walk-in encyclopedia. So that's what Google's for. And you can really look and see the, the evidence-based music therapy. That's a very important thing, right? It's not just about, oh, I feel better. Though that is very important, but um, I just wanted to make that discernment. Now, one of my end games, one of my goals, is to bring music therapy more into the mainstream for non-clinical goals and objectives. So while I do have a lot of experience working as a clinician um, in my private practice, co-creative music, the, the fundamental goal for each session is how do you facilitate the creativity, the self-esteem, the expression, the authentic expression out of a kid or an adult. Yeah, you work with both children and adults. Yeah. I was going to ask you the question, who is music therapy for? And I think that's what we're getting to right now. It's not necessarily just for people who are trying to deal with an issue. Right. Um, well, first of all, who's not trying to deal with an issue? That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. really is the crux of the album. You know, we're managing the predicament of the human condition. So um, some people struggle just drinking enough water in a day, slowing down, you know, never mind doing a 20-minute a meditation or a yoga class, but just checking in with your body one moment to the next and realizing that there's room for a pause. And so in my practice, um, a lot of the session can be spent improvising music, free play, or recording improvised songs. And sometimes this, there's no music in the sessions. Sometimes parents or artists or other mental health professionals will sit on my couch and will just look at creative ways of perceiving the challenges that are going on and finding you know little hidden opportunities for play, creativity, and fun. And so it can really be a, a life coaching session, artistic mentoring session. But I, I really do believe music therapy is for everyone, even if you don't have a musical background. You know, a lot of people get triggered and they slam doors. Uh, playing the drums, rhythmically or not, is it, you're having the same somatic experience of releasing the energy, but you're doing it intentionally. You're not projecting it onto other people in a volatile way. You know, you really get to make the sounds, animal sounds. Kids love to make those. I encourage adults to make them as well. In, in the context of artistic expression and release, there's something called bioenergetics where you can really put a, a movement and a sound to the emotions that you have. Our bodies really store all of our history and 
art gives you that opportunity to express all of that personal strife in an impersonal way. So how does improvisation work in your practice? Do you get people just to say lyrics, whatever comes to their minds? Yeah, well, the thing to keep in mind is we're always improvising, right? You're asking me questions, I'm improvising them. Maybe you're improvising some of the questions, but we're always in the state of either actively listening or ideally expressing authentically. For the most part, um, in the 15 years that I've done this, 17 if you count my, my training, which really from NYU, you go straight into field work and you're working with kids and adults. Um, children really do have a natural innate ability to just start singing. You know, it's very innate. And so I'd say one of the most effective interventions that I have is to really make sure I don't get in the way. It's more about what I'm not doing and not saying than what I am. You know, so when kids feel safe, they will just naturally start to sing about anything that's on their minds. They have a natural sense of melody and pitch and rhythm. And so, you know, I have a a little homemade studio like a lot of people do nowadays. So I have Pro Tools and a green screen. And as soon as the first session, uh, some kids are ready to, they get it. You know, they've, they've seen some of the work online and they're ready. And it's just so rewarding. I've recorded thousands of songs of improvised songs with kids. You have a song on your website from one of your clients called Concentration Camps for Creativity. I Talk do. to us about that one. Well, that one happened about five or six years ago when uh, one of my students, Daria, was talking about the same thing many, many kids talk about, which is feeling overwhelmed by what they're doing at school and feeling like it's draining their creativity. And... You know, I just asked her, do you want to make a song about it? And she said, yes, if I can call it Concentration Camps for Creativity. Concentration Camps for Creativity. Concentration Camps for Creativity. In the imagination station of the Miracle Foundation, we all bow down, bow to the king. But who are we bowing to? What? Don't you think we're marionettes, marionettes, hung by a string till we all fall down in the concentration camps of creativity? And so, you know, I myself grew up Jewish. Um, and, you know, but for me, you know, when you're dealing with art, particularly trying to express something like this, this, is tra this transcends religion, right? You have an artistic license to really express the way things are for you. So the song happened spontaneously as all the improv ones do. And then I did a little bit of post-production right afterwards. Not very much, you know, I just, even when we were improvising, I was switching between guitar and piano a few times. And then, so I, it was just about cleaning up some of those transitions. I understand the song Video Game on the album Ageless was also totally improvised. Yes, except for the choruses. So uh, Claire Linares uh, had improvised a song called Start Stop, which was basically everything you heard on the final album, just without all the extra arrangement uh, for that one that Al Walser had, had done uh, such a brilliant job on that song for co-production. And... Um, so Start Stop really holds its own as its own improv song. 
and about two years later, I, I just wrote the chorus for video game, not knowing where I was going to put it. And it takes me that long. So it took me another five years to conceptualize how I was going to merge them together and create a five new years. piece. It did, yeah. I mean, I wasn't actively working sure. on it for five years. But sometimes I'll get an idea for a song, and it takes several years for it to sort of incubate and become clear you know i don't have a practice of sitting down every day and writing a song i never do that i wait for the ideas to to hit me and keep bugging me until i have no choice but to but to produce it what's the message of that song video game you know, it, it keeps revealing itself more and more, but it actually sums up the album in a certain regard because Claire sang about where's the middle? You know, two hooks sitting next to each other. What about the fabric in between? It starts, it stops. It stops. It's what we all think about. That's what we all think about. It starts, it stops. That's what we all think about. very music therapy it's about the process it's not about the product it's not about the goal you know how do we how do we transcend the monotony of life and and recognize that even though in some ways we're doing the same thing every day how do we make every day a new day and really enjoy it enjoy our relationships a lot of people live with ADD you have a song on the album called focus on ADD mm -hmm. with a very specific message mm to people who have attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, well, also, I feel that everyone is on a spectrum of ADD and, you know, can find it easier during certain times to focus than not. Um, I find in general when people are connected to their sense of passion and creativity, the, the discipline required becomes more involuntary. And so I do believe there's a correlation, though I'm not a statistician, that children are more likely to be labeled ADD, uh, ADHD, when they're asked to do things that are not in alignment with how they're naturally wired. So don't be surprised when I go on a tangent. No need to tell me to focus, focus, focus. Try not to tell me to focus, focus, focus. I wish that you'd stop saying focus, focus. I'm not saying I don't think it's important to learn how to focus, but how children are encouraged and guided to pay attention matters and generally focuses the F word for them. You know, once you say that, you're also dismissing, well, what else were they focusing on? And maybe the thing that they're being told to not focus on is the thing that made them feel most like themselves. Cause focus is, focus is, focus is not my strong suit. So of course this album features children that you work with as your clients. How cool is it for them? How cool is it for you to have them on this album? I, it's very cool. It's very gratifying. Um, you know, the kids really seem to be proud of being part of something um, bigger than them, and I feel the same way. 
Who are among the other artists and special guests on this album? Oh, there's so many. I wish I had the album in front of me. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, so a few that you might know would be Marty Beller from They Might Be Giants, the drummer, and just an amazing producer in his own right. Um, Bess Rogers and Chris Kuffner and Hannah Winkler, all of them have been playing with Ingrid Michaelson for a long time. And all of them are amazing artists in their own right as well. Chris is an incredible producer. Uh, Bess Rogers actually teamed up with a friend of hers named Ali Moss, who also plays with Ingrid. And they created something that I love called um, Thinking Outside the Blocks. And that's uh, their way. It's a platform that they have to help artists get over their blocks and really nurture their creativity. And I hope I can do some work with them at some point around that. But I thought I'd give them a shout out there. What inspired you to become a music therapist? number of things. Um, I was at SUNY Purchase for my undergrad. And one of my professors by the name of Joel Thome had suffered a stroke years back and at the time was told he would never walk again or teach again. And he ended up working with a music therapist named Benedicta Skybe. She's no longer with us. She ended up becoming my mentor for many, many years, just up until a couple of years ago when she passed. And I believe they worked in tandem with Oliver Sacks. And he, he was still walk, walking and teaching for many years after that. So that's one of many examples of how um, a Western medicine diagnosis or prognosis doesn't exactly unfold the way that they might have expected. And um, my, uh, I had a friend at SUNY Purchase by the name of Sarah, and she was a, a jazz vocalist. Uh, she was getting her master's in that. And she was, let's call her intuitive. Um, she read some tarot and, you know, she did some psychic readings in her day. And of course, that was like a huge interest of mine. Um, and actually, that that goes into my work quite a bit in some subtle ways in terms of uh, synchronicity. You know, when you have melodies um, and rhythms and chord progressions that are all happening spontaneously, that's a form of synchronicity. And so she just straight up called me and left a message on my voicemail one day before I was actually cognizant of music therapy as an actual profession. And she told me straight up, go to NYU and apply for music therapy. And I think you're going to get in. I think they're going to know who you are, whatever that meant. And so that's the, uh, that's the other piece of how I ended up in music therapy. What can parents do to create a supportive mental health environment for their kids? Well, the first thing would be to create a healthy uh, emotional climate for themselves. You know, um, something that I've seen a lot in my work is parents being so anxious about being the best parent that they can be that they can inadvertently sabotage their good intentions by being so overly worried about protecting them and making sure that they don't have any challenges. And I really do believe, you know, safety first, of course, but... Um, our challenges help shape us. And, you know, I love to use the example of Helen Keller. You know, she emerged as one of the most important teachers um, in world history and would never have been able to do that if she didn't have such severe struggles. Now, I'm not saying from a Buddhist perspective that you absolutely have to suffer and struggle in order to emerge as your best self, but it certainly does seem that there's some validity to that and to just not discount, you know, even on a, on a physiological level, sometimes we need to get sick so we can get healthier. It's okay for the immune system to do its work. What about schools? Obviously, we have traditional music education, but can schools be doing more with music, would you say? 
Well, there's a lot of oh, that's loaded. Um, there are some really wonderful schools out there, uh, schools that are based on social emotional learning and wonderful art programs. But something that I'm deeply passionate about is um, advocating for the actual blueprint of the education system to shift, because in my experience, while some kids do very well in the school system. By and large, the curriculums and standardized testing that kids go through uh, seem to outweigh their process. And I see kids suffering with high levels of anxiety and depression and at times suicidal ideation because of what they're doing at school. Now, I'm not an anarchist and I'm not saying drop out of school. Um, but I'm certainly not saying follow the rules blindly either. There's got to be a middle ground here where we can say, okay, some things work, some things don't. I would love to see creative arts therapy become a part of mainstream education. So not about addressing clinical goals and objectives, but really looking at life goals. You know, how do we reach our highest creative potential? How do we both express ourselves authentically and also have the capacity to make room for other people to do that as well, right? It's not a one-way street. A lot of people can get stuck in that personal development path where you can actually get stuck in narcissism and realize, well, it's so important for me to be able to be heard and me to be able to be seen, and they don't re always realize that others need that too. You have a song called Everyone's a Narcissist But Me. I do. <laughs> it's actually the title of my book that I'm writing as Is well. Is that right? Everyone's a narcissist but me. Yeah, a tagline, a music therapist's perspective on the human condition. Now, that's a tongue-in-cheek song, isn't it? Oh, yes. It's definitely some new age comedy um, making fun of everyone, especially myself. You know, it is not possible for um, anybody to be completely narcissistic free and so I think it's an important thing to you know become really conscious of it and exonerated and realize that sometimes it is about me 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 and sometimes it's really not you know I think it's totally healthy to step into the spotlight and share what you have to share but when well, one of the ways that I define narcissism, uh, you know, because I think it's gotten a little bit murky. You know, as soon as somebody seems like they're just sort of doing their own thing, they can be pegged as a narcissist or out the gate. And I don't think that that's fair. To me, the, the, the fundamental line that you cross as a narcissist is when you cannot tolerate other people being empowered. When you're either consciously or unconsciously sabotaging somebody else, gutting them so that you feel better. That's a true narcissist. Being able to really enjoy yourself and feel comfortable with who you are, you know, I find that it, it, it's almost like a narcissist is more likely to call somebody else a narcissist. <laughs> yeah. I'm a gobby nectar sweet. I'm a gluten free mason in a holy water basin full of flowers. But me, 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 and everyone needs therapy. But me, 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 me. I remember all my past lives, my karma sorted out, and I'd never penny pinch or do yoga for the sake of attention.
You referenced the anxiety that kids often feel in school, whether it be test-taking or whether it being getting bullied. Mm -hmm. There's a song on the album called Anxiety that addresses those issues. Yeah. Well, anxiety is something I think we all face um, probably on a daily basis. Uh, the, The whole point of the anxiety song wasn't so much to fix it, but just to acknowledge that it's there. Um, you know, and to just sort of try to iterate what it feels like to really be going through it, you know, feeling like you need to crawl into a hole or hide. You know, I hope that it helps people feel a little bit validated. You know, oftentimes when people feel anxious, they feel truly alone. They feel like nobody understands what they're going through. So that was the main goal of anxiety is to just, you know, put a voice to it and say, like, this is something that a lot of people go through and I can get through this. That's when I get a little awkward. That's when my heart is in my head and all I hear is the sound of my pounding chest. I gotta calm down. I gotta calm down. Gotta get calm, but it's calm, but it's calm, but it's calm, but I'm having a hard time. I just want to say one more thing about anxiety in terms of uh, what kids feel. They're afraid to fail, and they're afraid that if they don't do what they're supposed to do, that they're just simply not going to be loved Mm. is how it can actually get translated. It's the fear there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, anxiety is just a word, but the real real feeling is, am I safe? Am I loved? Am I worthy? Am I okay? It's our job to make sure they do feel that way, right? Well, it's both. You know, it's the the job of the authorities, of the, the parents and the teachers and the caregivers to really hold space and nurture so that kids can develop that themselves. You know, ultimately, you never want anybody else's job to be to love you. It's Mm. wonderful when people love you and when you love people, but you don't want to rely on that. You just want to enjoy that and appreciate it. And so I think kids need a lot of opportunities so that they can really learn how to love themselves. Only love, only love, only love can carry us The album is Ageless, Songs for the Child Archetype. Jonathan Sampson, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. You can find out more about Jonathan Sampson at cocreativemusic.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producers Laura Babiak and Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Jonathan Sampson. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to Cityscape on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening. Hello.